Have you seen that uh, Lowe's commercial? Those Lowe's commercials have been playing on March Madness where the guy's uh, tiling his, you know, he's tiling his bathroom and then he's looking at it and all of a sudden they all start falling down, right? Or the, my favorite is he's putting up a ceiling fan and he hits the switch and the ceiling fan falls down and then he takes the ceiling fan and throws it out the window. That, that's what that's about, okay? We're talking about pride today, March Madness, perfect for that, right? You know, Duke, all, I mean, all these, all these teams that, you know, what do they do? They, they start looking past what's going on right now, thinking they got this, they got this game, and then all of a sudden they get beat. It's a, it's a perfect subject for us. I have uh, been traveling again for this convention thing. I hope you'll come in July 8th through the 11th down to Indianapolis. I'm in charge of this convention and I'm writing a book and doing all this stuff. And I've been speaking around different places, kind of promoing it. Been in Missouri at a college, in Tennessee at a college. I was in LA doing some stuff with Saddleback on some filming for it. But in the middle of that last weekend, I got some time off. My uh, kids surprised my wife and I. It was our 30th anniversary a couple of weeks ago. And so they thank you very much, yes. And they... uh, they surprised us by getting a, a place in, uh, in California that one of them had connections on, and all of my family got to hang out together, and we got a family picture so that you could see how beautiful my girls are, and how much they take after their mom, and how color-coordinated we are. Aren't we awesome? Okay? <laughs> So, uh, so good to be back with you and, and back getting in on this and, and, and I'm a blessed man and, and glad my daughters take after their mom. So Easter is coming up. It is going to be, uh, four services at Lockport and 10 services here. We've never done 10 before and here's how it has to go. Okay. The reason it has to go 10 for us is because we're going to have a lot of people. Okay. And we'll have the chapel available, uh, for overflow or if you, you know, you have friends that are like, I don't want to go to the rock show. I don't want to be in the big house, you know. Now, you can come and go to the chapel. It'll be, you know, it'll be all on the video or whatever you want to do. But here's what we're doing. We're starting Thursday night. This is what we do. Thursday night, I know it's Monday, Thursday, but it's Easter Thursday for us. It's at 7 o'clock. On, uh, on uh, Friday, we do 5 and 7. Okay, uh, and that's you know because it's Good Friday, but that night you're you, maybe you'll get off a little bit early or whatever. You can come to that one, and then on uh, Saturday we have three at three and five and seven. Those are different times than you're used to, so just pay attention. This is why I'm telling you this now. And Sunday is different times than you're used to. If you ask me which one should I avoid, I would say probably the ten thirty on Sunday because we're going to do eight thirty, ten thirty, and twelve thirty to try to spread things out in the morning on Easter morning. And then we're still going to have our 5:45 service on on Sunday night. I'm going to try to do them all live. We're going to, you know, we're going to have the whole thing. Okay. So those are all identical. I just want you to be thinking about when you're coming, and I, and it's going to be a service that's going to be really conducive to to your friends coming and and knowing what Easter is all about. Okay. Palm Sunday and Easter go together. I'll tell you more about that. Seven deadly sins. Why? We're not we're not doing the seven deadly sins so that you can identify why you're dead. Okay. Can I, just, can I just help you out with that? We want to keep the dead from happening. That's the whole point. I was on a plane recently somewhere, and it was one of those deals where, you know, they crammed us all into these seats, and then you're, you're sitting there getting ready to take off, and you look around and you realize there's nobody in the back of the plane, you know? There's like 30 seats open back there, you know? And, and so I'm like, hey, can I get up and move? And she's like, no, we're getting ready to take off. But after, you know, we get up to 10,000 feet and you hear the ding, you can get up and move around the cabin. Okay. And, uh, and, um, yeah, I'm a Southwest guy. So, so we get to that point and you know, the ding goes off and I turn to the guy in the aisle. I'm like, so you get, you want to move? He's like, Oh no, man, I'm not moving. Like, okay. How come? He said, cause they'd never be able to identify my body if we went down. (laughs) 
Really? <laughs> hey, Fred, we found a charred femur bone in 12A. Oh, well, that must belong to John Anderson because he was in 12A. Listen, I'm going to tell you, I got up and moved. I mean, I'm getting, getting away from that guy, and I'm going to go relax, and I don't care where my femur ends up if we go down. Can I just tell you that? Just play Freebird and get on with it, and let's go, okay? What I, want to, what I want to concentrate on is not going down, ladies and gentlemen. Are you with me? Okay? So I need to try to get you back on track because I know Sullivan preached last week and he got everything all jacked up. So let's get back on the seven deadly sins. Okay? There's not one verse in the Bible that lists the seven deadly sins. Okay? This is, a, this is, a, this is a, a bunch of theologians in the Middle Ages that got together and they said, what is it that are the things that get in the way of our relationship with God the most? What are the things that are the most deadly, that put a wedge between us and God? And this is not about salvation. Okay, Please understand this. This is not about achieving a place where you can keep yourself out of eternal hell. You might have been taught that growing up. A lot of us kind of grew up with this legalistic system of somehow if I'm good enough, God's going to take me to heaven. And if I'm not good enough, I'm going to have to go to hell. Or maybe if I'm in the middle, then I'm going to go to purgatory and then I can maybe work myself back up into heaven or I'm going to end up in hell anyway. Maybe those things are going to happen, right? That's not how it's going to work. What I'm going to talk about on Palm Sunday and on Easter is that all of the stuff was taken care of for us on the cross. Yes, there was a big chasm. You saw the picture for that. There was a big chasm in between us and God. And Jesus came and brought the cross and it's the bridge that puts everything together. And that's what Easter is all about. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. I don't care how many times you've committed the seven deadlies. I don't care how many sins you've committed. I mean, we know that there are murderers and adulterers in heaven. We know that David and Moses and, and the Apostle Paul, all those people were people that probably sinned more than you and I have. And they wrote the Bible. Moses killed the dude. He wrote the first five books. That's where we get started, okay? That's not the point. The point is, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And that's not full life later, like after we're in a new place. It's full life now. So stop thinking about eternity and, and, and realize that the reason that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you would be better off cutting off your hand or gouging out your eye than living in hell he was talking about now. He's not talking about if you don't lust enough, you'll go to heaven. He's talking about lusting is going to put you in hell now. Hating is going to put you in hell now. And I just think one of the weirdest things that's going to happen theologically is that we're going to get to heaven. I think people are going to get to heaven and, and, you know, I don't know, you know, I don't know when, when the first lucid moment in heaven is going to be, but we're, we're, people are going to, I think people are going to wake up in heaven and go, Wow, I made it. I mean, I think a lot of other people are going to go, wow, you made it. But, but I, think, I, think, I think a lot of people are, are, are going are gonna to have this. I mean, I've been thinking about this. They're going to have this moment where they're like, well, I, you know, I believed in Jesus. And, you know, I, 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 I tried to follow Jesus. I just, I just can't believe it. This grace is really that amazing. I can't believe it really happened. And for a lot of people, they're going to get to heaven and they're going to have lived hell on earth. And they may be surprised when they get there, but they're going to look back and they're going to go, wow, this grace really is amazing. And I'm going to walk up to you and I'm going to punch you in the head. <laughs> and I'm going to say, 
hey, I've been trying to tell you, I tried to tell you this 50 years ago. You can live in grace on earth as it is in heaven, okay? That is possible. It is possible to live with the power over sin now. So the last thing I want you to do is have this defeated attitude where you say, well, yeah, I'm just a sinner, you know, it's just who I am. No, 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 listen, listen to what the Apostle Paul said. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't let it come into your, into your body. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, you're under grace. And what he's saying is, we, we don't have to, we don't, grace is not just amazing because it saves us later on. Grace is amazing because it lives inside of us now and it gives us the power to not live in hell now. Because the seven deadlies are about what goes on inside, right? You know, you, you know this. It's about the attitude on the inside. You, 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 don't, you don't try to commit the sin of pride. You don't try to commit the sin of envy that we'll talk about next week. I mean, that's not something that you set out to do. It's not even something that you do do. It's an attitude that goes on inside of your heart. Here, here's, here's the way I could say it. Actions reflect what we do. The heart reflects who we are. I was just teaching this to the what we believe class. We don't believe that, that the sacrament of baptism or of communion are, are things that save you because you do the right thing or, you don't do, or, or condemn you because you don't do the right thing. It's about what's going on in the heart. And, and what Jesus was saying was, it's not about committing murder. If you hate in your heart, you've already done it. It's all about the heart. That's what the seven deadlies are all about. And if you'd like help for this, we have a class for you. It's going on on March 29th. It's like a six-hour class that's going to happen called Renovation of the Heart, How God Really Changes Us. And they're going to go through the seven deadlies, and they're going to talk about how God can do this, and it would be a really great like retreat-type setting for you to come and hang out and understand what this is all about. You can sign up on the web if you'd like to spend some time talking more about this. Today, we talk about pride. Okay, We talk about the ego trip, the ride of pride, and it's it's because we forget that we're not as important or as not as powerful as we think we are. I, I was in L.A. last week. I was, I was reminded of this report from several years ago. The Los Angeles Times reported a screaming woman trapped in a car dangling from a freeway transition road in East Los Angeles was rescued Saturday morning. The 19-year-old woman apparently fell asleep behind the wheel at 12.15 a.m., and the car, which plunged through the guardrail, was left dangling by its left rear wheel. That sounds like a movie, right? Half a dozen passing motorists stopped, grabbed some ropes from one of their vehicles, tied the ropes to the back of the woman's car, and literally hung on to it until rescuers arrived. When the fire unit arrived, a ladder was extended from below to help stabilize the car while firefighters tied the vehicle to tow trucks with cables and chains. Every time we would move the car, one of the rescuers said, she would yell and scream. Picture this scene, right? Took almost two and a half hours for the passersby, the California Highway Patrol, tow truck drivers, firefighters, about 25 people in all, they said, two and a half hours to secure the car enough that they felt like they could pull the woman to safety. And then L.A. County Fire Captain Ross Marshall said later on, However, it was kind of funny because she kept saying, I'll do it myself. <laughs> there you go. Took 
25 people, two and a half hours, but she thought, I got this, I'll do it myself, right? That's the ride of pride. That's why pride is probably maybe one of the deadliest of the deadlies. And again, I say this, it's not about, it's not about having pride, it's about having two, this is about excess. It's not about, gluttony is not about, you know, eating and drinking, it's about, it's, a, it's, a, it's about overdoing it, okay? Lust, there's nothing wrong with, with sexual desire in the right channels in your marriage, okay? There's nothing wrong with wanting nice things, there's something wrong with greed, and there's nothing wrong with pride. You were made in the image of God, you should be proud about this, okay? This is really important for you to understand, but too much pride is what's bad. Too much pride is what gets us in trouble. Like the middle-aged woman, finally in exasperation, who turned to her husband one day in the middle of a fight and said, you know what? The only reason our marriage has stayed together all of these years is because we're both in love with the same person. You. (laughs) Just a line for you to hang on to for later, okay? That's what, that's what it does when, when there's too much pride in our life, like those little vignettes that we saw, like what happens in our life, that's when we get in trouble, okay? So let's talk about an easy example of pride. Very, very simple. The very first sin that was ever committed was pride. That's why I think this is really, really important for us to understand. The very first one was pride. And you're like, Adam and Eve? Yeah, it was Adam and Eve. But I'm talking about before Adam and Eve. The reason we have the devil, the reason we have Lucifer, is because of pride. People ask me sometimes, where'd the devil come from and what's the whole story? We don't have a whole lot of information. All we know is that Lucifer was an archangel of God and because all human beings and all created beings, I should say, have freedom of choice, he decided one day, because of pride, that he was gonna play king of the mountain with God. He literally decided, and a third of the angels with him decided to pull a coup, to pull a revolt against God. Never, ever a good idea. Here's what he said. I will ascend to the heavens. This is Lucifer talking. I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly, the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend among the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the, both, like the most high. You see really quickly the biggest problem with pride is there's a big I in the middle of pride, right? Did you hear how many, I will raise my throne, I will ascend, I, 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 that's the problem. Lucifer decided that it wasn't about God anymore, it was about himself. And I don't think God was threatened by this, I think God went dink and kicked him out, and now we have the devil and the demons, and the reason that there is a hell is because there needed to be a place for them to be, okay? I don't know why God didn't, you know, do the, Morgan Freeman, Jim Carrey thing and just say, well, if you think you can do such a good job, why don't you go try to do it? But but my guess is the reason that God didn't want that to happen was because he knew that pride gives us motivation for ourself and doesn't ever do anybody any other good. How do I know that? Well, because the very first people that are ever created, Satan uses pride to trick them. Now the serpent, this is Satan in the garden, was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree of the garden? That's what Satan does. Really, you know, these things really deadly, come on. And the woman said, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say we must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not even touch it or you will die. And Satan lied. You will not certainly die. Satan said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What is that? 
Satan tricked Eve with pride. It'll be awesome for you. You're going to love it. You're going to know all this stuff that God knows. You can be like God. He knows, obviously, he couldn't be like God. That's why God kicked him out. But he's going to trick us with pride. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, there's that pride thing, she took some and ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it because he thought that's all that was going to be for dinner. And the eyes of both of them, that's my story, and the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves, and death, and sin, and disease, and all the horrible things, and the curse came into the world. Okay? You see that? that? That's what pride does. Okay, Pride was the very first sin, and got Lucifer there, and, and pride is the first sin that we did, and it got us here in the situation where we're at. This is why C.S. Lewis, my, one of my favorite authors, said this way in Mere Christianity. The essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Anger, greed, drunkenness, all of that, they're mere flea bites, okay, in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil, and pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Isn't that brilliant? Uh, that is exactly right. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. So what happens when we have pride? Why is pride so deadly, okay? The first thing is that pride distances us from other people. You get that, right? I mean, nobody wants to be around a proud person. If, if the things that we're supposed to do is love God and love our brother, pride is the dumbest thing that we could do because pride makes, us not, makes other people not want to be around us. A pastor, a Boy Scout, and a politician, they didn't walk into a bar, they were in a plane. A pastor, a Boy Scout, and a politician from Illinois. Let's just go for it, okay? They were on a plane with a pilot, and the engines failed, and the pilot said, hey, I got good news and bad news. The good news is, the bad news is the plane's going down. The good news is there are, are three parachutes on the plane. The bad news is there are four of us. I have a wife and three kids at home and I'm the pilot, so I have a parachute on, I'm out of here. And he jumped. The politician from Illinois turned to the pastor and the Boy Scout and said, you know what? I am the smartest man in the world and the world needs me. If I go down, the world will never be the same. So I'm taking one. And he grabbed one and he jumped out. The pastor being, you know, the humble servant that he was, turned to the little boy scout and he said, son, you have your life to live in front of you. You know, I know that God has great things for you. I've already lived my life. I know where I'm going. You take the last parachute and go. I'll go down with the plane. The boy scout turned to the reverend and said, relax, reverend. Smartest man in the world just grabbed my backpack and jumped out. I was going to make it be the governor of Illinois, but they're all in jail, so that joke didn't even work. So, okay. No one wants to be around a prideful person, right? Nobody wants to do that. Nobody, nobody likes that. There used to be a show on called What Not to Wear, and if the Bible had a show on called What Not to Wear, I think pride would be the very first of the list. Here's what Peter says in uh, 1 Peter 5. He says, you should clothe yourself with humility, Clothe yourself with humility. Humility is the opposite of pride. That's what we're supposed to do, okay? And other people aren't going to like us unless we have humility. What is humility? This, again, C.S. Lewis, brilliant. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Isn't that good? Okay, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. That's 
what pride does, it separates us from other people. And when we think of ourselves less, then it makes us more accessible to other people. The second problem with pride is, is obvious. I've already said it. But pride distances us from God. I mean, the, the problem is when we, start, when we start doing things on our own, all of a sudden we forget that God is there and, and we don't acknowledge that he's the king of the universe and he's ruling everything and, and it separates us from him. I mean, not, not just what we do, but God himself separates himself from us. As the children of Israel are getting ready to go into the promised land, Moses tells them, look, here's my hesitation. You're going to go into the promised land and everything's going to be wonderful and and it's going to be a land of milk and honey and you're going to flourish and everything's going to be great because God brought you here and he wants you to be here. So here's what he says. When you get there, your temptation of pride is going to be my power and the strength of my hands have produced all this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and confirms his covenant, which he swore to his people. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you, you will be destroyed. If you remember that God is in charge, then God is going to bless you. I, I, was, uh, I, I preached in January. You guys got to hear Gene Apple. I preached at his church back in January before he came here, and, and he was doing the story. Um, and I got to do the, the, the week of the story, I think it's week 19, where we talked about Hezekiah who came as a prophet in the Old Testament back to the people and the people had, had forgotten about God. That's what prophets did. They came back and they smacked people all the time and say, don't forget about God. And in this case, it was great to go back and look at the story again because the story was the people had been brought back to the promised land after they'd gone in and done exactly what Moses warned them not to do, they'd been brought back in to rebuild the temple and they started to rebuild the temple and then they forgot about it for 16 years. And God came down and he said, you built your own houses, but you didn't build mine. I don't understand. How do you not understand that, that, that my priority is the one that's important? How did you forget this? And did you not notice, God says, that I had withdrawn my blessing from you? I mean, God literally, when we're prideful, when, we're, when we think it's all about us and we did all this, he literally removes his blessing from us so that we can learn that it's not about us. And that's what had been going on. Their crops were failing. Things weren't going well. Guys, this is what God tells us about our finances. I talk about this on a regular basis. He says, the reason that you bring a tithe, the reason that you give, that you're generous, you bring the tithe to the storehouse so that you can see that I'm blessing you. And when you don't, I'm not going to bless you. And you've got to decide how you want to live your life. Do you want to live your life with 100% on your own or do you want to live your life in 90% on, with me in partnership? That's what he talks about over and over again. As a matter of fact, the, the uh, psalmist said this. He said, though the Lord is on high... He looks on the lowly. He looks on the lowly. He looks down and he goes, okay, I I love you if if you're being humble. But the proud he knows from afar. I mean, if you think it's all about you, he's going to back up. Pick up on that. So how do we solve this problem? Well, let me just get into this, okay? Let's talk about the God problem. The first thing is perspective. We got to talk about who is God. And we've been talking through this whole thing about the symptom versus the sickness, The symptom is pride. The sickness is I don't really believe that God's in charge. Maybe I believe it up here, but I'm not really believing it down here. The symptom is pride, but the the sickness is deeper down inside of me. It's thinking that I'm the one that's important. 
Marcus Aurelius was one of the great emperors of Rome. Julius Caesar gets all the credit for stuff, but Marcus Aurelius was really one of the great leaders of Rome. He tried to keep them out of war. He tried to be a benevolent ruler as best he could. And one of the ways that he did it, such a great story, one of the ways that he did it is whenever, you, you, you remember that the Roman emperors, you know, they, they were the Caesars and their people thought they were gods. And so the people would always, you know, when he would come out in his flowing robes and everything, the people would be like, oh, you're so awesome. You're God. I, you know, you're, you're wonderful. So Marcus Aurelius literally had a guy that would walk behind him, a servant that would walk behind him and constantly say one thing. You're just a man. You're just a man. You're just a man. As everybody's heaping praise on him, he always had this voice in the back of his head that said, no, nah, you ain't that good. No, nope, not that great. For me, that's Bill Brown. That's uh, <laughs> my wife, my elders, my staff. I mean, I have, I have like this whole entourage of people that are coming behind me. Because when people think I'm a rock star, when people think that I'm really important, I have to have people behind me that, that, that keep telling me, no, nah, you're, you're really not all that, okay? God's just using you. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? Because the problem is when we get in this situation where we start believing our own press, our perspective is wrong about God. Let me tell you the perspective about God. I, I told you about Moses already. Let's, get, let's, let's back up to the point where Moses gets called, okay? Moses gets called by God, burning bush. You probably saw that, you know, Charlton Heston, whatever. There's this burning bush thing, and, and, and Moses is there, and God says, hey, Moses, I want you to go get my people out of, out of Egypt. And Moses is like, okay, God, or whatever you are, burning bush. He's like, um, suppose I go, <laughs> I love this wording. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, uh, the God of your fathers that I met in a bush said to me, has sent me to you. What, what, am I, you know, what am I supposed to tell them your name is? And they ask me, what is his name? How, how do I identify you? It's the first time in, in recorded history anybody asks to see God's ID, okay? It's the first time it ever happens. We don't know if he ever told his name to, to anybody else, but this is the first time we know that he describes his name to Moses. And this is what, this is what he says. God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I'm sure it had a little Abbott and Costello feel to it, you know, at first. Who's on first? I am. You know, I mean, it had to be a little bit weird. And it is a little bit weird when you hear it until you start to process it. If God's name is I am, that, that pretty much means it encompasses everything. God's literal name is I am. What he's telling Moses is I am. I am God. I am running the planet. I am the owner of everything. I am the Lord. I am the creator. I am the savior. I am the alpha, the omega. I'm the beginning. I'm the end. I'm inexhaustible. I'm immeasurable. I am everything. I am. I am God. That's my name. Okay, the, the psalmist said before the mountains were born from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. We don't understand it. We can't figure it out. It's beyond our comprehension, but God is I am. So what does that mean for us? The psalmist also said, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. You have set your glory in the heavens. And when I consider, I mean, this, this is, you know, looking up, this is David looking up in the sky as a shepherd. When I look up and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, I have to ask myself, who am I? 
basically, right? What, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man? Why do you even care about me? Because your name, how majestic is your name in all the earth? What is his name? His name is I am. He's under control. That's the perspective that if we have that perspective, we won't have the problem of pride. I love this picture somebody kind of made basically off of that scripture. You know, here's the galaxy, you are here. And we keep discovering more and more galaxies and more and more things that are out there. And the more we discover, the smaller and more insignificant we should be. Please understand this. If God's name is I am, what does that mean about Moses? What does that mean about Tim Harlow? What does that mean about you? Let's just say I meet Jay Cutler one day, all right? And let's just say he's personable, okay? And and he... uh, and he, and, he, and, he, and he says to me, hey, I'm, I'm Jay Cutler. I'm the quarterback of the Bears. I can say anything I want to back to him, almost anything I want to back to him. I could, I could tell him anything I want because he doesn't know me from a hole in the wall. He doesn't know who I am. So I could be truthful and I could say, hi, Jay, I'm Tim Harlow. I'm a pastor of some church in the south suburbs. Or I could say, hi, Jay, I'm the ruler of North Korea. Hi, Jay, I'm the tooth fairy. I could say anything I wanted to back to Jay Cutler except for one thing. What can I not say back to Jay Cutler? I cannot say, hi, Jay. I'm Jay Cutler, the quarterback of the Bears, right? Because they'd put a white jacket on with my hand strapped behind me and they'd carry me away. Ha ha. That's what would happen, okay? Uh, Because that's the one thing that I can't be in the presence of Jay Cutler is the quarterback of the Bears because that job is already taken. Old people, and as young people, this is going to blow your mind. But old people, remember when Chevy Chase used to do the weekend update on Saturday Night Live? Right? I know it's crazy, isn't it? The young people are like, Christmas Vacation Guy was on Saturday Night Live? That's crazy. I know, it's crazy. Here's what he would say, young people. I don't even know why it was funny. It was always funny because it was Chevy. He would come on and he would say, Hi, welcome to Weekend Update. I'm Chevy Chase and, and you're not. And, and we would laugh every time for some dumb reason. Yeah. <laughs> Good evening, I'm Chevy Chase and you're not. What God, the, the important perspective for us when it comes to our pride is if God's name is I am, then your name is not. I am not. Really, it really is that, that simple. I am not in charge of the universe, Right? I am not in control. I'm not the solution. I'm not all powerful. I'm not calling the shots. I'm not the Lord. I'm not the God. I'm not running anything. I'm not the head of anything. I'm not in charge. I'm not the maker. I'm not the savior. I'm not holding it all together. I'm not all knowing. I'm not all seeing. I'm not God. So you got a name tag on your way in. How many of you went ahead and put your name on there? Okay. You all have pride problems. You're supposed to wait for the instructions and let me help you with it. Seriously, did you think we were like all going to, you know, go around and share our names with each other? Come on. What I want you to do is I want you to take your name tag and I want you to write not on it. Just not. Okay. And if you put your name on it already, that'll work out really well because you can cross out your name and write not. And I just want you to put it on there. Okay. And I have already done this, but we're going to tweet this. Okay. I want you to do a selfie of yourself with your not on. Okay. Get your not on. And I want you to get a selfie of yourself and tweet it 
and put hashtag, my name is not. Got it? All right? My name is not, hashtag, and we'll put a picture out. I got a whole big one out there on, of me already. And, and then do whatever you want to with it. Put it in your wallet, put it in your Bible, put it in your car, put it on your dresser so that you see it first thing in the morning. And you can realize that if your name is not, it's not about you. And so your pride problem will be really nipped in the bud. Very first moment you wake up and see, I, oh yeah, I'm not. That means he is, he's running everything. It's all about him. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and then everything else is going to work out, okay? That's our perspective. The second thing we need is action. We need action. We need something to do with it. So what should we do with it? What what is a good action to take care of our pride problem? Now that we know that he is I am and I am not, what should we do? Well, it was pretty simple because Jesus demonstrated this for us. How, how do we do any of the seven deadly sins? How, how, do we, how do we not do any of the seven deadly sins? We act like Jesus. He's the answer to everything we do. One day the disciples are following Jesus. I mean, they've been with Jesus for three years and they're following Jesus and they're having an argument about who's better than the other one, literally. And they're like, hey, I'm going to be at it. Jesus' right hand. That was like the best place to be in the kingdom. And one of the other ones was like, no, no, you're going to be at the left hand. I'm going to be at the right hand. I'm better than you. No, I'm better than you. And they're, they're following Jesus. They've been following him for three years. And they're having this like five-year-old argument behind him. And finally, Jesus has had enough. And he turns to them and he says, hey, if you want to be great, you got to be a, anyone? A servant. You want help with your pride problem? <clears throat> Pretty simple. Get your perspective right. You're not God. And get your serving on. It's really, really, really that simple. And I'm sure they all hung their head and they thought, oh yeah, that's, we forgot. We're, <clears throat> we're supposed to be like Jesus. We're supposed to be the servant. And you'd think they'd get it, right? Do they get it? No. Seven days later, they're in, on Thursday in the upper room and they're hanging out together and it's a special time because they didn't like rent a special room to have dinner very often. No other times that we really knew about. And, and they're having this special dinner and they know it's a special time. And they walk in and there's no servants there because Jesus hasn't hired a servant to do anything. They're just going to hang out and have a meal. So that meant there was nobody there to wash their feet. And in that culture, washing your feet was really important because you reclined at the table and you didn't want somebody's nasty feet up in your face and they were barefoot, right? Dirt roads, you get this. So, so it was really important to wash your feet before, just like it would be to wash your hands before you went to the table. And there was nobody there to wash their feet. And you would have thought, and somebody would have thought, oh, wait a minute, I'm gonna be great and I'm gonna be a servant and I get down and wash your feet. But what happened? What happened was, everybody, this is what happens to me. You look around the room and you figure out, well, I'm not the lowest person in the room, right? I'm not the, I'm not the least, the least person in the room. It ought, to, you know, it ought to be that guy. It ought to be Thomas. He's going to be a doubter, you know? It ought to be Judas. He's probably, you know, stealing from the offering. It ought to be that guy, that guy, that guy. It's not going to be me. And nobody washed anybody's feet. And Jesus, again, seven days later, guys, you're going to be the greatest. You're going to be the servant. And, the, and catch this, the guy whose name tag really did read, I am, he got down on his hands and his knees and he washed the feet of the guys whose name tag said not. And he is our example of how to fix our pride problem. 
And I think about that and I think, how many times have I been so prideful that, that I didn't think it was something I should do to get down and serve my wife, wash my wife's feet or my kids' feet or, or the people around me's feet because, you know, I'm more important than that. And I missed opportunities to serve, and we do it all the time. Remember this, true humility, it's not thinking less of yourself. It doesn't mean I don't believe I'm made in the image of God and that God loves me. Jesus knew that. True humility is about thinking of myself less. And I do that when I serve. We're going to worship before communion because it felt to me like this was one that was punching me in the head enough and probably punching you in the head enough that we ought to spend a little moment just, uh, just singing, just worshiping with that chorus that we were just doing a minute ago <clears throat> so that we can take some time to get ready, okay? If pride is the symptom and the sickness is that we don't believe that God is in charge of the universe, then the prescription to our sickness is being like Jesus. Jesus who was the I am and yet chose to serve the I am nots. So if we're the I am not, we really ought to be serving the I am nots. That's how we fix our pride problem. There's a great scripture that Paul gives us in Philippians where he says, here's how to fix your pride problem. Be like Jesus. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, pride. Rather in humility, Value others better than yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you look to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature I am, did not consider being I am something to be used for his advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to death, even death on a cross." That's how far Jesus came. That's why we celebrate communion. Is because Jesus, through his death, took all of our sins away. And yet, he was still a servant. We, there's never been anybody more powerful on the face of the earth than Jesus Christ. Never anyone who had more right to be prideful than Jesus Christ. And yet, he knew that God was I am, and he knew that God loved him, and he knew who he was. So it was pretty simple for him to not think of himself less, but to think less of himself and to serve. We used to sing a chorus, Lord, I lift your name on high, and it was all, the whole thing had actions with that. You came from heaven to earth, and from earth, you know, to the cross, and from cross to the grave, and the grave to the sky, because that's how far down he came. And I started to use that illustration last night, and I said, we used to sing this song called, Lord, I lift my name on high. That's how much pride problem I have. You know, Lord, I lift my name on high, right? It was your name, okay? That's what it was supposed to be. Lord, I lift your name on high. That, that, that's because you are the servant. You are my example. You're the one that helps me with my pride problem. So what do I need to do? I need to know that God is in control and I'm not. I need to know that God loves me and he created me and not, not think less of myself, but I need to think less of myself. I need to have the same attitude in me as was in Jesus Christ. Lord, as we come to communion right now, we're just going to lay it down in front of you. The fact that sometimes we try to take control of being God again in our own lives. I don't think we do it in our frontal lobe. I don't think we do it in our brain, but we, it's, it's always lurking deep down inside. And it's just because it's exactly what the devil wants us to think. He wants us to not believe that you're God. He wants us to not believe that what you've said is true. And so we go live our own lives our own way, and we end up living in the deadly. Lord, as we come to you right now, you help us to understand that your power is available to us now, not to live that way now, 
And I pray that if there are people in this room who have never accepted your grace and your power, that this would be the moment that they would just turn their hearts towards you and and say, Jesus, I, I need you. How I need you. I need you to be my Lord and my Savior. I can't save myself. I can't save myself in eternity for sure. I can't even save myself right now. I need your power in my life. And, and then for all of us, we talk a lot around here about the fact that it's, it's not about just signing on and, and getting saved. It's about the power to live the way you want us to live now. And that's not less fun. It's more fun. It's more good. It's more perfect. It makes people and you want to be around us more. And it makes our life better. There's none of these deadlies that are going to ever make our life better. They're always leading us to hell. That's why you told us to gouge our eye out rather than to do this stuff. It's because you love us. And you know what's best for us. So be with us. As we take communion right now, we remember the fact that we do not get amazing grace because of what we do. And we don't get to heaven because we've got more good than bad. And this is about you and your amazing grace. And you came as the perfect son of God, the perfect I am. And you stooped down and you not only washed feet, you took my sin and you died on a cross for them. We worship you for that. And we thank you that you rose again so that that same power that was alive in you could be alive in us. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen.